The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. To the Brandon Peters Show and the start of the summer of 93 at 30 series. It's the summer of 93 at 30. This is a weekend by weekend look at the movies released during the summer of 1993 and returning for another go round of another summer's past from the rap, it's Scott Mendelson. Hello, it is good to be back. Last time we had Forbes Scott Mendelson. Now we have the rap Scott Mendelson. It's so different. My God. Ten years have passed. Ten years have passed. <laughs> Next summer, I'll be Weekly World News' Scott Mendelson. <laughs> as long as it's not Scott Rant, we're good. And joining us, we're, we're a trio this summer. We have, to no surprise probably, the people who pay attention, the writer for We Live Entertainment, Why So Blue, Variety, a member of the Hollywood Critics Association, and host of Out Now with Aaron and Abe. It's Aaron Newerth. Welcome to 93. We had to wait for Aaron to be born to join one of these. <laughs> he was not alive <laughs> in 82. So it's funny because we're going to die first. <laughs> you, you, you need someone, you need, I get it. You needed someone younger and hipper to be a part of the podcast. <laughs> you got to appeal to the kid demographic. What was the elementary school vibe on Jurassic Park that summer, Aaron? That's a... um, uh, well, it was summer. So, like, school wasn't really like, I mean, there wasn't much school left by the time right. Jurassic Park came out. So. True, true. So, this voyage setting to sea today, we'll be discussing three movies. From the weekend that was May 7th through 9th of 1993, beginning of those. So, this is the sequel to the summer of 82 at 40, which you all love so well. A lot of good feedback on that, and I'm happy to go back and do another one of these again, which... <laughs> it's a sequel, so you, you added a black character. That's what <laughs> We got more diverse. <laughs> Stay tuned. We but might. It's a darker, grittier sequel. Yes. He's going to die at the halfway <laughs> exactly. mark. Exactly, yeah. I thought might... these podcasts were so simple, but now I, the, my morality is being challenged. <laughs> Last summer, we we did the extensive rundown of like every film that came out that summer. So many fucking movies. We like to be, you know, the pirate movie is something oh, Scott and I now we show our children. We talk about it. We're thankful for the guy who ripped it onto YouTube for everyone to see. We did have a listener that said like, oh, I'm curious to check that out after hearing that. I'm like, after hearing no. us go... Oh, failed. we failed you. So there were a lot of films released this summer in 93, but um, there were many of them that were a single theater for a single weekend in 1993. And I'm there. Was, it was a lot. So this one, we could have just dropped all the one theater movies and said, hey, this was the pop culture general normie summer movie experience. 
But there was when we were going through this list, there was someone like, "Hey, we can't skip that. That's a Steven Soderbergh movie. No, <laughs> um, we we can't not include that." So th- we've gone over the the onesies and uh, narrowed them to the interest of us three hosts, or just relevance, or maybe the accessibility of some of them. Also, in order to make our lives sane and these episodes not be a half hour and then five hours. These limited release ones have been rearranged to pad some of the lighter weeks or to lighten the load of some of the heavier weeks. So it won't be as neat and tidy, but you're going to get everything that came out, plus bonus movies some weeks that might have been later in the weeks. But you know what? Where you live, some of those might not even played. So we're just throwing them in where they could go. For example, this week we have dropped the movie My Neighbor Totoro, because uh, it was first released in July 1990, and what came out this weekend in 1993 was just an English-language dub of it. So Scott and I were like, we, we tossed it. That um, won't fly. What? The, kids, the kids are way more interested in hearing about some gritty Jeff Bridges movie than My Neighbor <laughs> Totoro. <laughs> <laughs> We we played to we played to the old folks' home, Aaron. We played to the Peter Pan. Miyazaki can places. go straight to hell with this. Yeah, what, what's Eddie Furlong up to? <laughs> he was hot. I'm scared to Google it. He was hot. Yeah, yeah I know. Yeah, it was Teen, teen Beat Furlong on the cover. On the back is the hideous Totoro monster. Like, no, thank you. Give me back to hey. Furlong. <laughs> I first knew who Paris Hilton was because of Eddie Furlong. So let's. Let's thank him for for some thanks, right? Maybe, maybe not. What, Depends. What's the, what's the thanks coming for? <laughs> She's a pretty looking gal. Uh, there. And House of Wax? Come on. We loved it. We loved it. But as always, Fridays in this series, there will be a music video discussion with a guest. So always come back on Fridays. And uh, we'll do this. We're doing this whole thing again. And stay tuned. We have a new segment coming this year within every episode as well. We have so. a what? A new segment. Um, what is that? You'll find out. It's pretty fun. Shit. So, 1993, Go before we dive in, any memories of that year from anybody going in, looking forward to this journey? I became a man. Oh, wow. I got bar mitzvahed. Oh, all right. All right. <laughs> summer of 93, got bar mitzvahed. I was 11 in the summer of 93. I do remember the Jurassic Park experience, the phenomenon, all that, the uh, last action hero of which I can't wait to you guys tag team against me on that episode coming soon. It still sucks. It still sucks. <sighs> la, 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 la. Who knows? Maybe someone will turn. I remember like, yeah, dinosaurs were big. I think just in general around the time there was exhibits at the zoo, stuff like that. Crazy stuff. Aaron, do you were you young enough? Do you have memories formed from 93? Uh, yeah, I was seven, but I did see Aaron Jurassic Park. was learning to use the potty and slowly weeding himself off his mother's... Never mind, carry on. Seven. Um, I, <laughs> I, I, was a, I was a big fan of dinosaurs in general because who okay. doesn't like dinosaurs? Lame ones is the answer to that question. Um, so I did see Jurassic Park multiple times. At that my parents had been divorced for a number of years at that point, so generally that meant seeing blockbusters twice anyway. Um, so, <laughs> so I'd seen Jurassic Park with my mom first and my dad second, and he was like, "Weren't you scared during this?" Like, no, dinosaurs. Um, I remember seeing Last Action Hero with my dad, and both of us walking up being disappointed because I was obsessed with Terminator Two, and it was like, "Why?" What, like my mind at that age is just like, "Why isn't it not that good?" 
as this <laughs> other movie that I that this other movie that I watch on VHS all the time. Why is it? Why did this not compute as being like at that like that level? Uh, so I was like, well, that no, I'll just keep watching Terminator Two, <laughs> and that I I need to look at the list again of movies that came out because right. I thought oh, yeah. specific, but we'll get through this as we go along. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I I do remember Jurassic Park specifically uh, because I assumed they had the uh, the teaser trailer for Schindler's List, and I was really excited. Uh, no, but yeah, I was I was big on I was big on Jurassic. Uh, I was big on the uh, the spitters uh, mm-hmm. for sure. That was like awesome. I was like, <laughs> I remember we get dinos three times this summer, Aaron. It was you were in heaven. We got oh, uh, we got a uh, we got a little thing called Carnosaurus coming up. Uh, Super uh-huh. Mario Brothers, and then all getting us prepared for Jurassic Park. It's Mario is another one where I'm like, I guess that's a movie. Like my mind is trying to compute, like what happened here? Versus, like, <laughs> as far as like, I know what the game is. I am a child. This doesn't sync up no, correctly. I was going to be like, <laughs> this isn't what I wanted. <laughs> I believe I, I believe I had Nickelodeon magazine during this time. Oh. So I did. So I was, I was constantly on, my finger was on the pulse. When it came to movies that were arriving, like there's, a, I remember specifically there's an interview with John Leguizamo in there. We'll talk more about this when we get to the Mario episode, I guess. Oh, yeah. uh, but but uh, I was I, I was trying I was hip enough for a seven year old that like to go to the movies. So. Did you, Did go you see enjoy Sliver? their cover story on? Damn it! You skipped beat me by ten seconds. <laughs> <laughs> just just don't bury the lead, Scott. Just get right to it. <laughs> no, I did, I don't I, I didn't catch Sliver. <laughs> I still, I still haven't seen Slipper. Oh, you get to bust that cherry, literally, just with Sliver. All right, were any of the movies new for any of you this week of the three? American Heart was to so new that I, I, I hadn't even heard of this movie before. I'll put it that way. Okay, yeah, um, this was Scott when we were talking about well, during the birth stuff. You were like, I remember that one vaguely, and I honestly don't remember if I had seen it before. I certainly didn't remember much about it. Okay. Um, so I'm going to say yes. It was probably new to me. Yeah, I had seen Dave and and yeah. Dragon, of course, because Bruce Lee was like god tier status at the time. Like his, I mean, his death was relatively fresh. We'll get into that later. And then Dave was this big hit back then. So, and I remember just that was one that like the wall at block at Blockbuster, but wherever would have like a ton of Daves sitting there. But first. As we do with the Summer Of series, we begin with the news for the week that happened leading up to this box office weekend. When I wake up, don't you know I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man who brings the news to you. All right, so on May 4th, uh, Angels in America Millennium Approaches opens at Kerr for 367 performances. So is this like a sequel to Angels in America? I was about to ask you this question. Yeah, yeah. Scott's an Angels in America fan, right? Uh, The first one? (laughs) I I honestly was not aware there was a follow-up. Yeah. This is like Love Never Dies of Angels in America? (laughs) I don't know. Like Angels in America rising. Like... I was just curious. I, did I threw it, that one out there. Just, yeah. Did it? Did it predict Y two K? Was it on top of the ball? Yeah, must have been. Like we got seven years. Get a did, play out about it. Did 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 Tony write it? I don't know. T Bone. T Bone. I don't know. Uh, on May six, the STS fifty five lands. In Colombia, that's something that happened. Uh, May 7th, cool. uh, South Africa agrees to multiracial elections in 1993. 
a day before my birthday. That was my gift that South Africa got that much more progressive. Yeah. Just <laughs> Meanwhile, in the United States Senate, if such a bill were brought up for a vote, I can't guarantee it would pass today. I mean, we just passed anti-lynching. Right. We 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 just passed this. Here I am you know? acting better than them and then the, yes. <laughs> you, you, you know what we shouldn't be doing lynching. I don't know, guys. Maybe we should wait like a few decades before we put that in the past. <laughs> should we discuss this first or yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah we'll put it on the table. <laughs> Uh, on May 8th, 16-year-old Kieran Thomas disguises himself as a motorman and takes New York City subway train and 2,000 passengers on a three-hour ride. That that's was bad. my birthday gift. That was yeah. on the day. And I was like, man, I can't wait. And then I was like, oh, yeah, that's across the country. Yeah. <laughs> I can't go. I got, a, I, got one of the, I got one of the golden tickets. They sent me that. No, How I many times did they get to go, that's my stop? Oh. That's my stuff. <laughs> like, and it, yeah, how many laps did that go? That's. I like how this is news. <laughs> that's that's one of the big things that happened. Always that's crazy. That is crazy. A sixteen-year-old like, taking over a subway. Like, everything was good all the time. Where's yeah. this movie? Where's yeah. this? Where's this? Where's this kids movie? <laughs> that's a sanitized way down and just be like, what if a bunch of kids just go on the subway for three hours? <laughs> Was it in the Nickelodeon it magazine? Father needs heart they... surgery or something. I don't know. Right. On May 8th, uh, ABC's Masters Bully Tournament won by Phil Ware. If one thing Scott and I know about summers, we're going to add bowling because normally it's hockey and basketball and baseball. There was a lot of hockey last lot, summer. Well, we were in the NHL Stanley Cup at the time. <laughs> in the uh, 80s, that's when it was cool. Yes. As and, ice. And more sports. And May 8th, Lennox Lewis beats Tony Tucker in 12 for heavyweight boxing title. My birthday was really popular. Yeah. Boy. In downer news, uh, May 9th, land, a landslide in Nambija, Ecuador, kills 300. And also on Jesus. also on that same day, Paraguay holds its first presidential and parliamentary election in 50 years. Okay, Paraguay. Yeah, yeah go Paraguay. Um, so deaths, notable deaths from this week in 1993. Dick Metz, the golfer. Uh, writer, critic Irving Howe, uh, radio, film, television actress uh, Lenore Kingston Johnson, and Mary Philbin from the original Silent Phantom of the Opera passed away this week. Uh, birthdays this week, actress Naomi Scott from Aladdin and Charlie's Angels, and I believe of Power Rangers. Power Rangers. She was, she was born this week, and Pat Cummins, he's a cricket player, so... More wow, sports. Cricket up. Cricket up. All right. We'll go to our you first. Got, you, what? You gotta know you gotta know what a crumpet is before you can play cricket. That's <laughs> the summer of ninety. <laughs> I want that every time I I'm gonna find cricket stuff because there's there's been cricket stuff going on. All right. I did not come on this podcast to talk about cricket and bowling. You know what they don't play in, in America, Scott? Cricket. Cricket, which leads us to our American Heart, our first movie that That's played. That's a terrible segue. I love doing them because you get so mad. Uh, <laughs> uh, say, so our first movie playing in one theater this weekend 30 years ago, American Heart. Thank <laughs> you. 
by Peter Silverman, Martin Bell, Mary Ellen Mark, and a script by Peter Silverman starring Jeff Bridges, Edward Furlong, Lucinda Jenny, Tracy Kapisky, and Don Harvey about an ex-convict. He's tracked down by his estranged teenage son, and the pair try to build a relationship and life together in Seattle. Scott, what did you think of Tex? Uh, I liked it. Did you say, what do you think of Tex? Tex, no, American Heart, which reminded me a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I get it. We That's why I understood that reference. Wow. I'm um, looking at a different piece of my notes. <laughs> I, no, no, I totally like, get it. Is some running joke? Like, <laughs> yeah, American Heart. A very good, you know, what you see is what you get character study. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, you know, it's, it's the kind, you know, it's the kind of film that understandably was, did very well at the Independent Spirit Awards, at least in terms of nominations. Jeff Bridges won Best Male Lead that year. And it is an old-school 1990s independent picture. Um, it is very unassuming. It is very gritty without being grotesque. Mm-hmm. It is. It feels grounded and authentic without wallowing in misery. And it's just a very slice-of-life picture. And as much as we talk about, oh, movies, they wouldn't make anymore, blah, blah, blah. I mean, even 30 years ago, this wasn't a film that was expected to blow any, you know, wasn't expected to rock the box office to any particular extent. I mean, the only reason I had heard of it, it just had happened on my, you know, it happened to, you know, pop on my wavelength when I was reading Entertainment Weekly, you know, for whatever reason. Um, but Bridges is terrific in the picture. This was back in that era where, like, everybody was saying that he was such an underrated actor, which... If everyone's saying that, then maybe he's exactly rated. <laughs> this was, I think, was this the same year as Fearless? Was that late 93? Yeah. Because that's, it's, holy it's shit. But he's just um, not starring in, like, hits. You know? No, like, he's, no. He's certainly acting. He's just not in hit movies. This is and, like Fisher King era Jeff Bridges. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah, yeah. That was probably the closest thing he had to a hit. This is where um, it's like he's a he's a good you know he's a good actor he's a good he's like doing these little other things but I'm like um, you, you realize the guy was doing good in the seventies too right like I, um we know he had Tron but like come on well in, in late 2010 famous he box Tron. office hit Tron yeah. well Tron Legacy and True Grit but both were well, they both made about 170 domestic opening with like a week of each other in late 2010 but I digress um, I was speaking in 93 terms of the original Tron, oh yeah but yeah. <laughs> 
no, this is a good, thoughtful, entertaining enough without being, you know, OEG fun. You know, it's not escapism, but it's a good solid drama. You know, it's 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 it it feels shot on location. It feels big, probably bigger than it actually was in terms of its budget. Uh, it doesn't feel narratively claustrophobic. Uh, Edward Furlong is very good in the picture. Um, he was a good actor. He is. A, I mean, as far as I know, he's still working periodically. And it just—it's a good, solid little movie. Yeah, Aaron. I have basically the same thoughts as Scott here, but I'm talking now, so that means mine are better. Uh, of course. I, <laughs> I thought the movie. Uh, it works well enough. It gets to an end point where it just feels like I guess we got to close this off here, as opposed to having something a little more. I don't know, significant, which is weird because it's a '93 indie type movie. So I wonder that feels more, maybe it feels more unique for its time compared to now, or it just seems like a pretty standard way to end like an, an art film essentially, which is what this would kind of be nowadays. It'd be some kind of like neon release or whatever. Right. But at the time I wouldn't say it necessarily felt not revolutionary or whatnot, but it certainly, you know, it was just kind of like, a, yeah. And then we kind of end and it's kind of sad, but whatever. It's okay. The kids. Like, <laughs> but, um, and Tom Waits, well, was on the soundtrack. Um, <laughs> but I, no, I thought the movie was quite good as far as the key dynamic between Bridges and Furlong. That's obviously what you're going to see for the most part, and I think that works really well. I think Bridges. Well, I was I was fun doing the research for this because I read uh, Bridges studied with Eddie Bunker, uh, famous bank robber slash movie consultant slash movie right. star sometimes um, to like harness this character and like looking at Jeff Bridges of the movie I'm like he does look like a young Eddie Bunker in this movie which is interesting uh, but he's also jacked like he's like prison jacked which is yeah. like wild to see for Jeff Bridges like that way and then the, the same thing I was uh, what I was reading that, that um, um, straight time seemed like a key influence on this a movie oh, yeah. that like you and I both kind of fairly recently discovered and it's like this mm-hmm. does feel like the not necessarily family friendlier version of straight time, but certainly like yeah. in the same realm of that movie, the Dustin Hoffman, uh, former convict movie. I recommend yeah, go check it out. <laughs> it's very, it's very, very good. This isn't as good as that, but it's certainly yeah. solid. I, I think I agree with Scott or Furlong's quite good here. Yes, he acts, but it's not like he has too many standout roles. It's mainly T2 and American history X are like the big things. Um, and then it's just like, yeah, he did other stuff too. And then he also had other problems, but like as a, you know, a young movie for him, uh, being a young actor at the time, I think he holds his weight uh, here. I like, I you know the what's the director's name? Bell Martin Bell. Martin Bell. Yes. Yeah. I I know he made the direct the documentary Streetwise, and this is just like a kind of a a fictional take on similar things essentially. And it's mm-hmm. I like that it's portraying a certain kind of greediness that's not always shown on film, certainly not at that point in a way that feels authentic, despite still being a fictional narrative. So like, I, yeah, I think it all comes together well enough in terms of depicting a certain kind of life when it comes to not impoverished, but certainly, you know, struggling people, you know, ex cons trying to find work, dealing with parenthood, stuff like that, like that, that stuff I think rang pretty well for a movie like this. I wish it ended a little bit stronger, but no, I still like the movie. Yeah, no, I, I, definitely agree with all your sentiments um that have been mentioned here and i, I think this is kind of like it, it kind of feels like hey we can make still make those 70s movies we can still we could still that do that here in 93 but uh, a lot of it that i like you, you kept mentioning genuine and authentic and one thing it does with that is the seattle culture of the time because they're saying sure. gritty but there's a lot of it's grunge that's where we're at here with that and it's not sh- it's doing it in a natural way and not a hey look kids the style and all that this is just 
what it was and some of the the you know there's like there was a romanticism of this lifestyle um in pop culture starting to come out at the time and it wasn't like a healthy attitude there's a lot of people addicted to heroin a lot of runaways a lot of you know you know people not doing well uh, and this one doesn't like showboat it may it gives an honest look at it uh and the one thing i i, I do like about the film yeah. is eddie vetter doesn't come and bring everybody together but no no <laughs> and, and you know nobody buys the magic flannel that helps you know make everything better but it slowly opens doors to worse things. It never fully like by the from where you start in the movie to where you end is like a huge jump, but it slowly gets you there. It makes you feel okay with okay, we did this now and that's okay, and then this now and that's okay, and then so everything feels like a natural progression. Where I do, yeah, you know, the ending is a bit heavy handed and a bit much, but it slowly got there rather than just jumping us there. Um, but you know, everybody, yeah, like you said, everybody's good here. Um, and it's an interesting thing. There's this like bad dad. My dad's a bad guy kind of movies that like we were obsessed with in this early nineties because you got like Dutch with Ed O'Neill and Ethan Embry, uh, getting even with dad, Ted Danson, <laughs> Macaulay Culkin. I was going to uh, bring that up as the joke response. And yeah. well, <laughs> well, and like fatherhood with Patrick Swayze, but like, this is like the serious drama, you know, if there's, di- if, if that uh, mold is hitting different genres, this is the one that's like the indie drama version. Uh, like this is the uh, like, you know, the you know grim, grim dark reboot of Getting In with Dad. Um, Dutch predates it, yeah. this one by a couple years, but like, it's funny. Like what it was just like, yeah, my dad just got out of prison, or my dad's a snake kind of guy. But you know, we're gonna, you know, I'm kind of into that lifestyle type thing, or gonna you know turn it on him. And like I don't know where this was coming from in a bunch of writers coming up with this stuff, but you know here we are with you know Edward Furlong's you know father's coming in here and he starts getting in with his old contacts and stuff. And I mean it's like it's Gen X so. kids writing movies, right? Yeah, that's I true. Mean, yeah, no, yeah, it's the divorce generation, right? What would happen if my deadbeat dad in jail came home and I was stuck with him? I'd show him. Um, but yeah, no, Furlong is this this is first one after Terminator. It's the first was, release, but he's is it made before Terminator though? Yes, uh, this was like this was okay. his second film. I mean, this was he was cast before Terminator, but Terminator obviously came out first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because he's still like he's noticeably young looking. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, because the whole thing with Terminator Two was that he had a growth spurt and his voice changed, and they had like ADR stuff or whatever. Right, that was like part of the thing. Yeah, it's just so he's always this kid with like he like kid with an edge and chip on his shoulder. Like, he literally was in the yeah. music video living on the edge as well. He's he's, like, he's he's like Dirty DiCaprio. That's what Young Furlong is like. Yeah, he's yeah. like a, he's yeah, like a yeah, Dirty yeah, DiCaprio. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he got Terminator. DiCaprio got Critters, and they were off. Should have put him in Basketball Diaries. Oh, then we could have had, then we could have had Eddie Furlong in Boogie Nights, and then the whole thing would have been different. <laughs> oh God! Golly! <laughs> okay! Okay! Change the game. Change the game. Furlong did Mar- Mark, Mark Wahlberg would be in Pecker. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> DiCaprio in Pet Cemetery 2. You call me a Pecker? What you, what you saying? What you saying? You saying take, I'm a Pecker? I, I just take a pictures. <laughs> oh, that that VHS of like, I I don't, it took forever. Like, like what the hell is this? Pecker? Like him with the camera, like, with a big red yeah. box. 
the hell is this? But yeah, no, American Heart. Uh, like I, I hadn't seen it. I didn't. Even, I don't like Aaron. I didn't think I knew it existed, um, much before this at all. But you know, so, so I'm, gl- I'm glad I do now. I think I, like Jeff Bridges is very good in it. I don't think that should be underrated at all. Like yeah. he, he is, he is very, very good in this movie. I think he's very much in the zone as this mm-hmm. guy who like clearly regrets things that choices he's made. And is trying to do the right thing, but he's you know hard headed and stubborn. So it's like he gets into situations where he reacts the way that this kind of guy would react, and it's like you watch it. It's like it's upsetting that he knows the choice he should be making, and he's not making it, or like right. he doesn't want to get in trouble, but he's getting in trouble. Like there's, yeah. that's 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 good character stuff that he's very good at doing. So right, yeah, and I um, yeah, I'd recommend it. I don't know where it will be playing. Uh, it's currently on Hoopla, but we're recording in January as we do these much ahead of time. So it'll be on Tubi in the summer. Yeah, Tubi <laughs> in the summer. It's on the yeah, Hoopla and, and uh, Voodoo currently. So it, it definitely will hit the free, or not the free, but the subscription places. Uh, oh, well, last so. thing, cause before I forget, I, you have um, this is that period where Don Harvey and William Forsythe are competing to be like, which, can, which of us oh, can be yeah. the like, scuz- scuzziest character actor that appears every now and again? <laughs> I think William Forsyth wins overall, but Don Harvey's making a good run for it in this movie. Well, because Harvey's like, I'm only going to smoke three packs a day, and Forsyth's like, I'm doing a carton. Yeah. <laughs> That's what happened. But yeah, unfortunately, they didn't green light uh, the sequel Lung Association, but hey, you never know. <laughs> you never know. You never know. From American Heart, we're going to see what the hearts of America were watching on television this week with our Nielsen ratings of the top 10 of this week in 1993. All right, either of you, you want to take a stab at the number one show this week in 1993? Is it a sitcom? I will tell you it is a sitcom. Scott? I'm going to go with Home Improvement. Aaron? Mad about you. Home Improvement on ABC. I mean, he took my guess. So. <laughs> Number two is what? Yes, Scott. No, it's like if I recall, this was back in the day where everyone was watching Home Improvement, and the critics were bitching that not enough people were watching Seinfeld. Oh, okay, okay. Well, uh, they uh, teasing ahead. Things changed. They, they they both fare pretty well. Well, yeah. in well the, Scott, uh, who's still on TV? Tim exactly. Allen. That's the answer to your question. Yep. So, who won? <laughs> who was right at the end here? Oh, yes. Uh, so, Home Improvement number one on ABC, Cheers number two on NBC, number three, Coach on ABC. Number four, Stephen King miniseries time, Tommy Knockers part one on ABC. Uh, Tommy Knockers, no Tommy Knockers knocking your door. That's a poster I know. Starting, uh, yeah, it's was no it, Langoliers. Was it Tim Daly? Who's in it? Tim Daly. Tim Daly uh, and uh, Rebecca De Mornay. It's Smiths, right? Oh, Smiths, Smiths, is in there. Smiths and De Mornay, right? Smith. Am I no, wrong? Sh- or Delaney? Is that De Mornay's in The Shining? I don't know if she'd be in. Two. Oh yeah. Oh, God, I'm getting '80s, '90s women wrong. Aren't Tommy. you the host of this? I know, but I'm. I'm not. We're not talking about the Tommy Knockers. <laughs> it's oh, it, oh, it's Mark Hellenberger. Ah. 
Uh, of course it is. Agnes DePesto is, or uh, Elise Beasley is in it, and John Ashton, Robert Carradine, Joanna Cassidy. They went all in on these things uh, back in the day. Uh, I watched Tommy yeah, Knocker. It, I watched this when it aired, so I'm one of those in the top, you know, the numbers going there because you didn't miss Who directed, who directed Tommy Knockers? Uh, the Tommy Knockers, Tommy Knockers Knocking at Your Door was directed by um, Tommy Lee Wallace. Uh, you know what? There's no director attached to this in here. It just wow. appeared one day. <laughs> it just appeared. Oh, there's two episodes. So maybe it had a different director for each part. Uh, Tommy Knockers part one is directed by John Power. And then part two was directed by, yeah, John Power. He did both. So I thought it'd be like one of those Carpenter guys or something. You know, nope. Coming in, knocking it out. He, nope. They got the Tommy power. Tommy knocking it out. They got the power. Uh, so number five, Murder, She Wrote on CBS. Number six, CBS again with Murphy Brown. Number seven. Hey, I like that show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like uh, Murphy Brown. The Pal of Home Improvement, uh, Roseanne on ABC. Number eight, 60 Minutes on CBS. Uh, num- <laughs> that's the one show that's going to cross between 82 and, uh, 93. <laughs> um, Number nine, Northern Exposure on CBS. Yeah, hey, definitely watch Northern Exposure. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, yeah. And number 10, Primetime Live on ABC. What's Primetime Live? Yeah, that sounds familiar. Oh, it's a news magazine, if I recall. Yes. It's like 60 Minutes or Dateline. Yes. Okay, so it's like their uh, bad version. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's... Uh, TV is. But Northern hit... Exposure, let me tell you. Yes. That's a good show. That was a good show. Alaska, that was fun. That was a fun show. That was a David e... Is it David E. Kelly? Northern uh... Exposure? Or no? No, David Kelly was like picket fences. What's Northern yes, Exposure? Yes, that's picket fences. It's not Botchko. What's, no, which one's Northern it? Exposure? It's, it's somebody. Hold on. I'm figure this out. Exposure. It's one of those like TV guys that's like always doing stuff. Like he's always uh, always got something. The producer. Uh, wow, there's a ton. Yeah, boy. I don't, I don't know whose name to attach to Northern Exposure. But... Well, it was the guy who created Say Elsewhere. Uh, oh, that guy. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> like All good. Uh, but we, I mean, I looking ahead. We here, can talk about Rob Morrow's film career another time. I guess there's a there's a uh, there's a cultural Janine Turner in a couple weeks. Oh, there you go. There's a uh, significant cultural event coming to the TV section here in a couple weeks. Well, stay tuned. But um, an event, I don't know. TV to movie to Dave. Our next film. Dave is taking the country by surprise. God bless America! The first surefire summer comedy sensation. Okay, let's get back to work. Whoa! Kevin Klein is sensational. Ever since the stroke, I killed. A wonderful, funny, feel-good movie. Think fun. Think hit. Think Dave. I once caught a fish. This Dave, an Ivan Reitman film, rated PG-13, starts Friday, May 7th. Directed by Ivan Reitman, written by Gary Ross, starring Kevin Klein, Sigourney Weaver, Laura Linney, Frank Langella, Kevin Dunn, Ving Rames, Ben Kingsley, <coughs> Charles Grodin, Faith Prince, and Bonnie Hunt. Uh, Frank Langella, who is scarier in this movie than he was as Dracula. Uh, yes. This is about an uncanny presidential lookalike named Dave, who is recruited by the Secret Service to become a momentary stand-in for the President of the United States. Momentary. Happens to live in Washington, D.C. That's the right. other thing. 
So like Bill, Bill Clinton had been in office for like five months, and we already have a movie about the infidelity of the president of the United States, which is crazy. But I was well, looking it he up. Wasn't this, the first. Well, this one, the genesis <laughs> yeah, of this movie was during the Reagan era, and the studios wouldn't greenlit it, greenlight it until a Democratic president was in office. Really? They, they wouldn't greenlight it uh, during Reagan, and they re- wouldn't during the um, George Bush uh, Senior uh, era. They they wanted to wait. The 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 idea was to wait till a Democratic president was. To, to be fair, Reagan and Bush seem like the least likely people to do uh, this kind of it's thing. Nothing. <laughs> oh yeah, you want to come to my place? Not gonna do it. Not gonna do it. That's my Dana Carvey George Bush, but. I have video, so I can't say that I left the room and came back. <laughs> <laughs> I think that you no, um, yeah. So this is a big movie for his time. We're not talking about the fact that this is the first week of May, right? First this, week this of this May. Big May kickoff movie is, this Dave. is the, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Dave. We had a we had a head ahead at the box office here for for first I mean, place, but without skipping ahead. The this weekend in 1993 was up like 65 percent compared to last weekend in 1992, mm-hmm. which just goes to the old thing. If you release fucking movies, people will show up. Yeah, and you have two this week that people were interested in. But like, did you see uh, Dave in the theater, Scott? You'd yes. been the only one of us that I think would have done. Oh uh, yes, I saw it. I don't think it was opening weekend, just because. Just to get a, you know, run away around to it, but yeah, the Kevin, pretty, the Kevin Klein crowds were just yeah, just yes, packed exactly. the theaters. Well, you could get in. Could get then, um, you didn't have to rush back no. then. Movies and played. Not not to skip ahead, but the film debuted at number two behind the other film we're going to discuss, and then rose to number one in its second weekend, mm-hmm. partially because it added screens and partially because it was a good, well liked, buzzy movie. Mm-hmm. And even then, there's like, well, this doesn't happen that often. That's interesting. I mean, you get yeah. two clients for the price of one, so that's a big factor. <laughs> huh. I'm I'm big on a bogo, so I mean, when you get when you get two Kevin Kleins in one movie, I mean, it didn't work out that other time. That's why Aaron's Wild favorite Wild actor West. is Jean Claude Van Damme. Guy does it all the time. Yeah, <laughs> more twins in movies is what I say. There you go. Bring on twin triplets. So, it said nobody. God. Nobody's saying that. So, Aaron, what what are your thoughts here on Dave? Let's start. start. I've always liked Dave. I, I've always uh, I, I I think it's a very pleasant movie. It's not one that's like I'm over the moon for, but it's one where I just when it's on TV, which is the way I've generally seen it over the years, it's mm-hmm. just like oh, Dave's on. That's a movie I can easily leave on and right. casually enjoy. It um, and watching it this recent time it did occur to me just how ridiculous this plot is. Like, I don't really, I think I ever considered right. like how silly the idea is that there's an identical man in DC that, that just comes in and it just becomes president. Uh, but it's also like vastly preferable to things that actually happened in the white house. So it's like, I can't blame this too much. Um, Kevin Klein is wonderful here. I, I do like what he's his, like this is his his Jimmy Stewart performance essentially, and like it's he's doing a good job. He's having a good time here. Uh, Sigourney Weaver and him have good chemistry. Like that, I like the arc. That again, as ridiculous as it is, that the first lady of the United States has a husband who looks like Kevin Klein, and then she falls in love with another man who happens to look like her husband, and they just go off into the sunset together. Like, is that's a total? Like, I mean, Oliver Stone's gonna go nuts. <laughs> When this gets reported after the he's in the movie, movie. 
That yeah, is no, a very a, funny cameo where he actually writes about a conspiracy yeah. theory. That's that's pretty funny. For like Ivan Reitman films, I I, I rank all of his movies, but I imagine this place is pretty high. Um, it you know, so Gary Ross screenplay will do Pleasantville and stuff later, and it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I it's a very you know, it takes this high concept. I think it plays with it in this you know optimistic way that you kind of want to, as far as a feel good kind of comedy, giving you this like you know this this crazy what if situation uh that ends up working out in the nicest ways and you have a lot of solid it's just a huge cast of like especially at this point because you like know all these people yeah including kevin dunn who's played the same character for 20 years <laughs> um <laughs> it, but this time he has a beard um I, I i you know i like this ensemble i like what they do with the you know the white house politics of it all that make it fairly easy to interpret for the sake of this movie um even if it's just it's just so silly <laughs> thinking about the parameters it's a good movie it's a it's a fun it's a fun enjoyable comedy you know it's funny you say you know silly but like back then we could appreciate that it's just a movie and that we could sure. go to a movie to see things we tip we couldn't see in real life or we we expected the movies to go places and to show us things that we couldn't get in real life and we would have fun with that like we would go in knowing yeah, it probably couldn't happen, but let's have fun with this concept while we can. And people would allow what they don't anymore, a suspension of disbelief. <laughs> Which you is, know? I mean, I, I hear what you're saying, and I don't think you're pushing that back against me at all but i like months before this groundhog's day opens up which is an even more wild premise right that's one i don't question it at all whatsoever no like it just i think because i think harold ramos does a better job and it never tells you movie. why it's happening they uh, wouldn't allow yeah. that today today you'd have to know why he was doing it but even in dave dave go i mean it's slight but it still goes out of its mm-hmm. way to like justify the things that are taking place to some degree like right. I, I agree with you that it is still just a movie yeah but like if i'm looking at both movies and i look at dave like i'm not i'm not knocking it for having a ridiculous premise but it is one where I put a bit of a, you know, watching it, like I just said, watching it more recently. I have a bit more of a raised eyebrow watching Dave than I do watching Groundhog's Day. When I go to watch well, yeah, I want yeah. to, I feel fine. That's the audience we've kind of become, even though we like to think we could see around it and stuff. But, like, yeah, like, I watched it, too. I had things, too, where I'm like, well, I wouldn't like that. But I'm like, you know what? It's, it's, a, it's a movie yeah, so, yeah, made yeah, during yeah. a different time and made for sheer comedy. Like, that's not the goal of the movie to be like completely accurate that's not the goal yeah that's not that's not the question yeah. i had it yeah. for it's just it's just more of it, it it occurred to me more so how silly it is this time around right which yeah, isn't right. based on my own like added cynicism of getting older just more of it's pretty wacky <laughs> just watching this movie it is and you know what i really appreciate about this time as well is it does the same thing as your mr smith goes to washington without overtly remaking Mr. Smith goes to Washington. It finds that theme, that idea, that character, but does something wholly new, but delivers that same kind of feel and message revolving around government that gives us that hope we want to see. But our our bit of reality now is like, pipe dream on that. But when we go to feel good at a movie about politics and stuff, that's what we want to see. And it delivers that same vibe, tone, and journey kind of that a Mr. Smith goes to Washington does without just going, let's just do that again. Yeah. So Scott, why'd you hate Dave so much? Oh, (laughs) (laughs) no, I mean, I, I, I've always enjoyed this picture. It's one that I saw in theaters and it's one of the ones that you, I caught in bits and pieces a thousand times when it was on the run on HBO. 
Mm-hmm. So that would have been what a year later because that was how it was done back then. Even then, it was sort of Clinton had only been in, in, in office for what five months, four and a half months, and we were already seeing a number of films. This uh, Independence Day, to a much lesser extent, Primary Colors, because that was a far more realistic picture. I mean, you just jumped ahead like three or four years, but okay. Well, yeah, I mean, th- throughout <laughs> the course of his administration. Hmm. Where the idea of, you know, it was sort of like the fantasy version of what we all hoped he would be when this young, hip, compassionate baby boomer president defeated an incumbent Republican, which was a shocking thing to happen, especially after, you know, Republicans had been in office for 12 years straight. It blew him out, um, too, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, thanks, Ross Perot, but nonetheless. Blew him out and yeah. also, you know, beyond the infidelity stuff, you know, balanced the budget, did good things yeah. for the country. It's a film that very <laughs> He made life boring. It was great. <laughs> and the idea that 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 you know, the fantasy, of course, is is the idea that, you know, what if elected leaders were just regular normal people who gave a shit about their neighbor mm-hmm. and government or was pilots. Yes, eventually. Yeah, yeah. Well, Independence Day was sort of like, what if Bill Clinton had George Bush's, George W. Bush's, or uh, George H. W. Bush's war record? Same thing with Air Force One. And that that's another good, you know, the fantasy version of Clinton crossed with Bush, Bush Senior. And for this film, because Bill Clinton got elected into office partially on the strength of the, you know, the economic woes, the economy's stupid. So of course. Even though this film was in production, it probably was in production before the election. You know, that was certainly a strain of it felt very timely. It felt very of the moment, very topical in a non-obnoxious way. You know, of course, the biggest problems were the economy, people not having jobs. Uh, of course, there was, you know, there's a subplot in which the budget is balanced in a non in a benevolent fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, Because that was always, to be fair, that was as much a conservative fantasy as a liberal one, arguably, that, oh, you know, if we cut all this pork out of the budget, you know, we we wouldn't run a deficit anymore. Never mind that Reagan's the one that got us into this, but I digress. All they had Um, to do was just sit at a table and put a piece of paper down and subtract uh things, and it was balanced. I mean, Charles Grodin was the answer. Um, I completely forgot Charles Grodin was in this movie. I don't know how, but when he came on, I was just, I had such a big smile on my face. I love Charles. (laughs) He's one of those people that like, he's got a presence all into himself. Like there's no other like Charles Grodin like people. He's just so, so good. Um, It just what Cause he's, and he still looked like, it's not like he looks bad, but like he still looked good as far as like, this guy's from like the seventies doing yeah. comedy. He's like, he still looks all fresh. This was uh, he's about be Beethoven. Beethoven. Yeah. <laughs> um, and of course you have Ving Rhames a year before Pulp Fiction. Yeah. A year and a half before Pulp Fiction. Dave, um, take a bullet. I would have taken a bullet for you. And that's a lovely grace note to that relationship. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> at the ending of this movie, it's like, why is this secret service agent yeah, yeah. hanging out? Of like, the what is the first lady doing here? What, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Um, well, there was also when when he leaves the ambulance to go off in the distance. I was getting like <laughs> the Halloween Resurrection prologue revisionist <laughs> vibes of Michael Myers when they're like, he's. I was like, it was filmed in like such a horror looking way. I'm like, this isn't like. This is scary yeah, looking. You ch- ch- change the music, put some like dark Marco Beltrami beats on this, and you can't <laughs> right. make some horror movie. Right. 
Oh, he goes off Dave. to replace another human again. He's out I mean, this, there. this is a lighter and fluffier and obviously more aspirational version of a movie that had come out five years earlier called Moon Over Parador with uh, Richard Dreyfus. That one's is, a, is about a guy that gets you know hired to impersonate a dictator. Uh, and it's a, it's a similar thing where they quote is unquote it a fake the guy. Or? Yeah, yeah, it's a comedy. It's very Richard much Richard Dreyfus comedy. He sometimes does, yes. <laughs> but. But yeah, back to Dave. I mean, again, it, it felt it was it was also an explicitly political comedy that even though I mean, it was obvious the guy was a Democrat. It was obviously that's where their hearts were. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it wasn't as explicit as, as Aaron Sorkin's the American president. Rob Reiner's the American president. But again, it was sort of like it doesn't lean could on be it. this unapologetically political without causing a scene. Yeah, it doesn't lean on, and even that, I mean, it's not like there wasn't division, but division was certainly not as prevalent in the ways that it is today. <laughs> like, it, so it, was yeah. le- it was left it can, to Rush Limbaugh for the five that listen. I don't know. Well, it was this was just before Newt Gingrich's contract with America, which started, which sort of started yeah. the whole every you know treating people like our enemies type thing mm-hmm. and you know without being too simplistic, you know the old saying is that you know after the Cold War, the conservatives mm-hmm. you know chose liberals as the new enemy. But anyway, good the film. summer of 93. <laughs> <laughs> it gets places. It, we go places. Don't worry. But no, it's it's a terrific little comedy. It is, I would say, I may regret saying this because I don't think of every ever, Ivan Reitman. Hot take Scott coming. It's one of my favorite Ivan Reitman pictures. Oh, well, that's not that bold. I, I keep trying to think of, like, there's probably a dozen that I've forgotten offhand. Right. You know, but, um, I, mean, I, I love Kindergarten too. Cop. That's that's my favorite. We know you love Kindergarten. It's, right. it's very good. Um, um, but anyway, Kindergarten Cop. Arnold makes his first appearance as himself this summer in the movies. Fair enough. Yes. In this movie, it's his first of multiple appearances of himself. I see. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yep. And then this was. This was. Did we mention it was nominated for original screenplay? No, did not. But that does yeah. not surprise yeah. me. Yeah. Gary Ross. Yeah, that would I mean, often be where you know mainstream populist mm-hmm. comedies would find their one and only Oscar nomination. Yeah, because there's no, ten categories. I mean, there's ten nominees because you have original and adapted. Yeah, but no, um, yeah, this, uh, yeah, this is a terrific movie. This holds up. This is fun to revisit. Go back. Um, like, I mean, yeah, it is. But I mean, I mean, I mean I have a Reitman's filmography. I mean, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yes, it's top tier Reitman. Yeah, I mean, when you look. As much as I love Ghostbusters and Kindergarten Cop and like Twins and Stripes, it's like mm-hmm. well, a lot of junk in here too. Now I just got reminded that he's dead, and it's like, oh, now I'm sad. Yeah. Because I, read it <laughs> <laughs> I mean, right. it's no legal eagles. <laughs> oh, a few things are uh, <laughs> oh. legal eagles. A movie where it's just all poster. That's that's, that's yeah. all you really get for that movie. Yeah, because <laughs> Robert Redford just. <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> um. And then we find out that my super ex-girlfriend really was even worse than we thought. Yay. Yeah. Um, oh, boy. But no, um, good movie. Yeah. Casey's biggest hits. And, uh, you know, speaking of top Ivan Reitman movies, we'll move on to Casey Kasem's top 40 for the week, the top 10 of which. Hey. Yeah. Segway King right here. Crown me. So, uh, for the top 10, uh, number 10. What's at the top? Number two. Okay, you want to take a stab at the number one song before I go through this? Ninety three. Ninety three. May. I'm bad. I'm bad at music, so I have no. Is it a male or a female solo um, singer? It is a group. It's a group. 
Oh, of R and D people. Boys no, to men. Oh yeah, I might actually. I'm gonna go with that. Boys to men. Boys to men. Aaron. DVD. I mean, I said it first, so. All right, yeah. both of you are there. Okay, so number starting at number ten, Diddy by Paperboy. Uh, number nine, Looking Through Patient Eyes by PM Dawn. Number eight, I'm So Into You by SWV. You know what? This is not my realm. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> No, uh, seven-year-old seven. Aaron was not not hitting the charts. Sorry. Yes, number seven. This is hip-hop heavy. Number seven. I might have. I don't know. I thought. Yeah, this is Casey Kasem. Number seven. Don't walk away by Jade. Number six. Nothing but a G thing by Dr. Uh-huh. Dre. Number five. I have nothing by Whitney Houston. Number four. Love is by Vanessa Williams and Brian McKnight. Number three. Informer by Snow. Uh, number two, that's the way love goes by Janet Jackson, which is going to be the every ebony uh, ebony and ivory of this summer. Scott just this is it hits number one and doesn't stop. And number one, freak me by Silk. Oh, Silk. that was my uh, what you lick, guess. We lick you up and down till you say stop. Yeah, that one. That one's, uh, I asked. I asked if it was a male or female singer because I thought it might be Janet Jackson or Whitney Houston. I thought it might be one of those, but they're on the list, so they got close. They're on the list, so yeah, that is the the Casey Silk. Yeah, I haven't thought about them since till now. I guess with the "Freak Me, Baby." Oh, yeah, I remember that was a that was a dirty little song for like the Roller Dome and all that stuff. So. Yep, that is we are. Um, yeah, it, it, just for fun. Number eleven was uh, Two Princes" by Spin Doctors. You know, a person who uh, was a doctor of spin kicks uh, back in the day was Bruce Lee. Is our next movie? Boy, Dragon, that's good. Oh, the nice. Bruce Lee nice. story. Yeah, like uh, fucking summer. Like that one. That was good. <laughs> good. It's the number one movie in America. Now, discover the surprise of Dragon. It's not just about fighting. It was about love and about passion. It just touches you right Right. here. Time Magazine calls it romantic, entrancing. I'm glad he made me go. CBS TV says Jason Scott Lee is extraordinary. We can't change people. We can fix. A movie star is born. All women are going to love it. You've got to see it to believe it. Dragon, the Bruce Lee story, rated PG-13, now playing. Directed by Rob Cohen, written by Ed Edward Car- uh, Kamara, based on the books Bruce Lee, The Only Man I Knew by Linda Lee Codwell, and Bruce Lee, The Biography by Robert Klaus, who also directed Enter the Dragon, um, starring Jason Scott Lee, Lauren Holly, Robert Wagner, Michael Learned, Nancy Kwan, Rick Young, Sterling Macer Jr., Michael Cudlitz, and Sven Olthorsen as the demon. Arnold's buddy, Sven. Uh, this is a fictionalized account of the life of the martial arts superstar, Bruce Lee. Film is dedicated to Brandon Lee, who died just weeks before the film's release on a little movie called The Crow. Just wild to think of how close this was. It's just, Wow. Yeah, and it and yeah, it film, made it like watching it made it all the sadder when Brandon Lee's born, and I'm like, yeah, oh, boy. I mean, he's <laughs> a major character. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's sort of the without skipping ahead, he's like the primary motivation is for Bruce Lee to overcome his personal demons and metaphorically save his son's life. Yeah. Uh. So this this movie, I 
I don't know how I feel about it. Um, I do. <laughs> like it's Bruce Lee stuff with almost all the interesting stuff you'd want to know, like gone <laughs> from his life. Um, the focus isn't quite um, there on some of the meat uh, in the Bruce Lee's light. Like, you know, I have the Criterion box set. I know about Bruce Lee. Yeah, I. <laughs> but I've been, you know, I've been reading about the guy for a long time. Um, he's always been a point of fascination. You know, the short movie careers like a James Dean, and it almost it like starts feeling like a, a biopic. Like Ed Wood, where the movie is about a guy's life, but it plays like a genuine movie of theirs. But this one kind of doesn't, it starts and stops with that and kind of doesn't know how to handle it. I don't know. It, it this guy, I was surprised to see how well reviewed it was at the time. Cause I don't know. Um, it's kind of flat. It's kind of, it's way too safe. It wants to be the celebration of Bruce Lee, but it's kind of not like it. It jumps over a lot of the interesting, like, film and movie portions of things. Uh, and it wants to focus on, like, his home life, but then doesn't give an honest depiction of some of his home life. I don't know. I. It feels almost like a rosy glasses account from Linda Lee <laughs> trying to avoid oh, yeah. stuff. Uh, trying to avoid stuff that happened to her life. Because I, for listeners who might be familiar with this movie and not... Um, a lot with Bruce Lee, like he was seen when he was, they had separated at the time of his death and during like the inner dragon stuff, like he was seeing it. He was with another woman. That's where he died. Like she gave him a wrong dosage or something of his medication at the time. Like he was having, yeah, he was on meds and all sorts of stuff. Like, and that's just not even hinted at or there here in this film. Like, and it, it sounds like, the way the film introduces itself with him like shacking up with the waitress at the the restaurant sounds like it's going to delve into stuff like him being like a kind of a player like it does not it it doesn't go any further. Um, the kung fu scenes are yeah they're, they're kind of silly at first but there's nothing interesting to them uh, though I think Jason Scott Lee handles it well. Um, but I don't know I I get doing a life of Bruce Lee as a Bruce Lee movie but you got to hit points to make it the bruce lee movie and actually talk about bruce lee movies uh doing stuff like he was doing a lot of crazy stuff when he was in hong kong make those movie or he was making those movies and that's not here there's not him with kareem it's afraid to bring in any celebrities that he was friends with like training steve mcqueen and people uh sharon tate he was friends with like there's none of that here um that could have like largely told and formed the story of Bruce Lee that we know the Hollywood guy but this wants to be a family picture but doesn't necessarily always it, it feels like it doesn't have that focus like I guess it's family but it's not I don't know I mean there's a giant caveat that I think Rob Cohen generally sucks as a director <laughs> <laughs> but if I if I put that aside this is I'd say probably in the upper tier of his movies I right, think yeah, it's no, just, it, I, I I think it's decidedly meh, uh, mm-hmm. but I don't dislike it, and I can say why. I do think the fact that it's opting to be a Bruce Lee movie about Bruce Lee makes it better than just being a biopic. Is there a version of a biopic that could exist that'd be better? Sure, I look forward to seeing that, but that's not going to come from Rob Cohen. It's not going to come, come from, from Ang Lee. It's not going <laughs> to come from yeah. It's not going to come from any white director. It's not going to come from Hollywood. 
yeah. in the traditional sense. So if I'm looking at this movie through 1993 goggles, yeah. uh, let alone now, like I'm not, you know, I don't, you know, whatever. I, I watched the movie the other day for the first time in decades. And at first I was a bit thrown because I wasn't sure what it was trying to do. Like you were right. kind of saying, because it's, you know, at, on the one hand, I admired that it was trying to bring what seems to be its priority as far, or at least for a good while is that, it wants to show what Bruce Lee's struggles were as being an, an Asian man who was American, but dealing with bigotry. Right. It does. I, it does I, I, focus I, on race a lot. Yeah, I it does. And I think and I think it does a for a movie of this size, this studio, this time. I think it does a good job of addressing that without overwhelming the picture from being crowd pleasing. Like, like that's something that especially you get so much of that when it comes to black people or other race, you don't get a lot of that when it comes to Asian cultures and like that kind of bigotry. So seeing mm-hmm. that in a major Hollywood movie, I thought that worked for it. Uh, at the same time, it's like, why has there been like three action sequences in a biopic in like 30 minutes? Yeah. And then, so that's so that's when it clicked to me. It's like, okay, so we're not doing like a standard biopic per se. We're making essentially a Bruce Lee type movie that yeah. happens to be a story. Of Bruce. So it's like, that's a neat approach. Yes. In, in, the, in, in the realm of the Lee family had to approve of this and be involved, which we know that they very much like knowing <laughs> what they're getting into when it comes to Bruce Lee being depicted in movies. Mm-hmm. I can see why they go this route and avoid certain other topics. Does that make it, you know, the quintessential Bruce Lee movie? Of course not. But I think if you're making a, you know, a summer release about Bruce Lee, I do think it's accomplishing basically what it needs to. It just has, it just suffers from, some major narrative choices that I can't really agree with. I think the end of this movie mm-hmm. just kind of, it just kind of stops, which is like, all right, that's whatever. And then he finished uh, Enter the Dragon, the end. Because it literally, like, it literally has a climactic battle with his demon, but then apparently the demon wins anyway. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> like, what? Um, the, the, the two biggest issues that I had, honestly, in terms of like this movie that I generally thought was fine, the major issues I had, one was I think Randy Elliman's score is, awful for this movie despite being a score that would go on to be used in so many yeah. other movies and trailers <laughs> right, right. <laughs> i think it's a terrible score for this movie because it's so like it's practically like uh, like american propaganda the way it's used like that's how it, yeah. and it's like the, the movie's directly geared with bruce lee having uncomfortable situations involving being an american but yet not being treated that way it, the score is so patriotic it's like Okay, fine. <laughs> um, it feels like someone got fired and they wrote this in two weeks. And was like, this will work, I guess. Uh, the other is, I think Jason Scott Lee is quite good. He mm-hmm. looks nothing like Bruce Lee. <laughs> like, and that's not his fault. That's not what's required for any movie. No one needs to look like the person. I mean, we have a fuck. We have I'm not there or whatever, which is like a whole treaty on the fact that you don't need to look like Bob Dylan to play Bob Dylan. Right. But at the same time, Bruce Lee is such an iconic figure who has such a distinctive look where Jason Scott Lee is just so big, like, and his face is so, like, his face specifically is so, like, you have Mike Moe in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and he looks so, like... And he's wet all the time. Yeah, yeah, he is. He's, like, he's, like, rocking Fast Five sweaty in this movie. It's ridiculous. Uh, So, it's not that that was a problem. Like, it's not like the move, like, there's there's nothing to do about this, especially when, yes, at that time period, you only have so many you know, Asian, Asian American actors that you could find that can act and be, you know, Bruce Lee good at martial arts to some degree. I get the limitation from a Hollywood studio trying to do that. But it is like this it became distracting looking at Jason Scott Lee and being like, I know what Bruce Lee looks like. Like this is not Bruce Lee. So you know, 
all of that said, yeah, I think the movie's just, it's meh, but like, I didn't have a bad time revisiting it for the first time in a long time. Yeah, I do say, I will give you, yeah, the, there was a lot of good racial racial stuff here uh, with his challenges, and then his all, like, when he, when he does go back uh, home, and he's like, dude, screw the American system, they, they fault, you know, there's a false promise there, like, unless you're white, and like, I feel like I'm like, I don't think a lot of movies were saying that in 1983, no. um, which I will give that was heavy-handed in it in a good way of of focusing that and i'm sorry twitter but dragon the bruce lee story knew the mickey rooney stuff and breakfast at tiffany's was bad before you did yesterday so, <laughs> like just, the fact that it focuses on that and it, it gives you kung fu if you even care like it just puts stuff out mm-hmm. there that's yeah exactly not new to the arguments it being made about appropriation or whatever right it's i like that the movie was doing that in the realm of a movie that is playing it fairly safe it does mm-hmm. have these things to say I, i'd also add for having for being a biopic that has a lot of action scenes in it, I don't think they're bad. Like it's a time when we had to actually like you could just cut like there was no you know there was yeah, choreograph it and stuff. Yeah, there was, chore- there was choreography and there's wide shots, which is something we don't get very much anymore because right. Hollywood action movies. So mm-hmm. and you can't now you can't just improve with CG or whatever. So the fact that Rob Cohen has like you know wide shots of multiple people fighting at the same time, I was like. He's not not doing it. <laughs> he's, he's putting something in there. So. True, true. Scott, uh, I've always enjoyed this picture. I mean, obviously, it's a fan. You know, it's it's a hail, what's the term? A hailography. I mean, it's very much an authorized biopic. Yes. And even when I was a kid, I knew it was about as truthful as Oliver Stone's JFK. But I didn't care because I found it incredibly entertaining as a fiction. Uh, I thought the fight scenes were very good. You know, 30 years ago, especially because, you know, this was 1993 and there weren't a ton of what I would consider to be top flight Hollywood martial arts sequences of that nature. Sure. No, I mean, you had to get them from um, Jackie Chan overseeing Jet Li from. Yeah, I, mean, I wouldn't. I mean, I, I knew Jackie Chan was kind of sort of, but I wouldn't be I wouldn't watch one of his films until Rumble in the Bronx three years later. Right. And, and, and I, to his credit, like Rob Cohen was a guy that's I say things about Rob Cohen because he's not a good person, but like he. He's been around for a long time. He's been a producer for a long time at that. Yeah. Point. He was on he TV. Was like he did a lot of TV leading up to this. Like he has a yeah, 80, so. his eighties is all TV. And I, um, I mean, he's directing this movie. Clearly, he has some something he wanted to do or say. So, like, I feel like mm-hmm. he just he's seen enough movies like this or what have you to have some sensibility of how to do well, this kind of thing. Of all seems. his movies, this one feels like he's actually trying to say something and has some sort of like feeling into it too. Well, I would yeah, say this is I, his best movie by default. I mean, I like Dragonheart, but no, that movie's terrible, Scott. So yes, I agree with you. Really? <laughs> I, I don't Dragonheart. like Dragonheart. I don't like Dragonheart at all. Eh, whatever. I don't need to um, do a comprehensive look at Rob Cohen movies, but of course, <laughs> but like, but also, I think the Skulls is literally like legit one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> like, <that's, laughs> like, I, like honestly, if you ask me, like, what is the worst movie you ever seen? Like, the Skulls is a movie that does actually come up in my head uh, on a short list. When the <laughs> allegations first came out, my first thought was, oh, maybe Stealth is the second worst thing he's ever done. Oh, geez. maybe. <laughs> and yet, you know, he directed the first Fast and Furious movie, and you know. Yeah. He, pretty well. he created. He helped create. Family. Yeah, yeah. The universe, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that being said, I think getting to something Brandon was talking about, I think part of that was in 1993, and I would say, unfortunately, even today, just because things still suck. 
you know, you're making this relatively rare big budget biopic about one of the most Asian, famous Asian men on the planet. You say Asian? Don't you don't necessarily want to make a movie that makes him look bad? Yeah. You know, and it's it's sort of the unfair expectation of one representing all kind of thing. And I mean, hell, I mean, we can say, ha oh, it was 1993, things would be better now, but look what the hell happened with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That film basically got tossed out of China because Bruce Lee's wife complained that, it, again, a cameo that I think is absolutely delightful and is absolutely yes. in tune mm-hmm. of, you know, the film, the fantasy that they're telling. And, you know, it only works if you know who Bruce Lee is. Yeah. And it only works if you already know that he's kind of a, you know, a mythic badass. And if you read things, you know that he Tarantino has some background on what he's talking. Well, yeah, about. you know, I honestly think for whatever weird reason, he's not a Bruce Lee fan. Maybe he just thinks Sonny oh, Shaw should have been the Sonny Cha- or Chiba. Cha- Sonny Chiba. Chiba should have been the one to get the recognition. I don't know. I don't think he has to be not a. This is a different debate. I don't think he doesn't have to not be a fan. It's just more of there's this guy who I can who has an ego yeah. that like just fits the story that I'm trying well, no to tell. No one's ever here. told Bruce Lee like that. They've been afraid to and that um, and I from what I I've, I've read things, because they'd be, he was a bit cocky and would say stuff like which that. Which he which so. he can be, just like yeah. fucking James Cameron can be cocky. They yeah. they can back it up. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, you know, even in his movies, I mean, he, he's and you know, his persona is, you know, especially when he's you know, he can be a bastard. I mean, there's a difference between him. You know, there's a certain scary volatility that you don't get in Jackie Chan. Mm-hmm. You sometimes get it in the early Tony Jaw pictures. And that's what sort of stood out when I first watched The Protector. Like, ah, oh, there's a meanness to this that reminds me of the early Bruce Lee stuff. Well, if you um, take his elephants, I mean, what, exactly. what would you do, Scott? Yeah. Like, I'd be angry too. Justifiable anger. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but at least, you know, when you're fighting Jackie Chan, you know, he probably won't kill you unless you, like, accidentally fall off a cliff or something. Well, because Jackie um, Chan doesn't fight you. You fight him. Yeah, He's defending exactly. himself all the right. time. That's how Jackie Chan fights go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is, anyway, that's I mean, that's a thing, too. Like, as far as the fight scenes in this movie go, it 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 has enough sense to be like, how how do we stage certain things? And something I always like about Jackie Chan movies is like one fight in Police Story 2, I think, where he's wearing white shoes because that's how you know who's the good guy. He's the one yeah. with the white shoes that's going yeah. around. This movie has that also. <laughs> I'm like, ah, Ron Cohen's done some homework here. He knows how to make these fight scenes work. <laughs> um, and and yeah, the movie does just end because there's no there's no good there's way. no satisfying <laughs> way to end the story. It was horrible. And you know, even when I was a kid, I knew that okay, yeah, he had he you know this this wasn't a lifetime romance that right up to the end mm-hmm. you know he did have issues and honestly there's a scene right toward the end where he comes home late and he's like yeah I was making a game of death <clears throat> and it almost seems like uh, are they not uh, is that as close as we're gonna get here <laughs> but anyway. me and Kareem were shooting some stuff yeah exactly so. um but I think he's very good in the picture you're right he doesn't look anything like Bruce Lee and I think Lauren Holly is terrific. Mm-hmm. Scene, I haven't seen this movie in decades. The scene I always remember is when he goes to meet the mother. That that for whatever reason, because it's just so harsh when she yeah when when like after like she insults him, he leaves and she just starts saying yellow babies. I'm like, good God, woman! Oh my yeah. God, it's just that that's that stuck with me for a long time. That's, that's the thing to remember about this film. Yeah, it, but, that, it's, but it's, I also like that she comes back and they make they yeah. make it work, whatever, because she's a a, a human that sees a baby yeah. and it's like babies are cute. Like, what am I supposed <laughs> to do? Race is still <laughs> no. It, it earns that. It the film earns that redemption. 
Uh, I, and I like that. And again, it's very, it's very mean, bittersweet it, it, the way the film, you know, imp, you know, gives Brandon credit for bringing them together. And again, that's yeah. fine. But it's like, oh fuck. <laughs> but I like that it, like, in terms of representing Bruce Lee's personality in a certain way, I do like that. By the time the mother comes back, it's not the it's not Linda Lee that's Linda Lee's the wife, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not her that accepts the mother, but Bruce Lee's just being like, what well, might be what, what, just just let her in, just let her see. Yeah. The and it's just like it's a little. If we're talking about this in terms of just being a character drama, I do think bits like that work quite well. Yeah, which is mm-hmm. which is ultimately why I'm like, you know, I'm not super high on this movie, but I am willing to let a lot slide because I do think it's competent enough to accomplish the the, the minor goals it seems to have as a you know a movie with actors doing act dramatic acting. You know, I, I, I've always felt that it was a very entertaining three star picture. Okay, I'll give you yeah, and. Obviously, it is unfortunate that this film would be no less groundbreaking and blah, blah, blah 30 years later because Hollywood has made so little progress and has regressed to a certain extent. That being said, it still does get some credit for being as open about institutional racism in 1993. Yeah. Um, Even though, again, this was a time when films were cheaper and they didn't have to appeal to every demographic, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. With the Robert Ragnar is very good in this. Um, yeah, yeah. Little smarmy part where you're like, mustache. Well, I I don't necessarily not like you, but I don't like you. Like, yeah. it's it's a it's a it's a really hard act to pull off because he doesn't want to. He has to be so neutral in that role, and he pulls it off perfectly. Like he's bad and good. I like um, that they have the actual Green Hornet playing the director of the Green Hornet. That's fun. That's that good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but we're saying all this, but like we know that you know, a year from now, when Angley's 120 frames per second 3D, thousand frames a second, when that comes out, that'll you know, we'll we'll come back to this episode and be like, this movie fucking sucks. This is terrible. <laughs> Have you seen what Angley's doing over here? Oh my god, my eyes melted out of my head. I, I did a double feature of, of Lee. I felt Lee like I got and Avatar three. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> Very true. Uh. Speaking, of, you know what's weird? This. Had a video game adaptation, like yeah. a video game adaptation <laughs> of a biopic. That that's really just strikes yeah, it's me. It's way better than the Ray. It's way yeah. better than the Ray game. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm not even gonna make more. I'm just gonna. The game. It was just so dark. That was my issue with the Ray. Oh, Christ. <laughs> there were no graphics. I hit start. <laughs> I blew in the uh, I blew in the cartridge a bunch, but yeah, I just I was looking at my TV going, "Hey, hey, oh, <laughs> oh man!" Jamie Foxx did the vocals for it though; that was nice. Yeah, it was a great PS2 edition. Oh my gosh! Oh, so anyways, um, where this leads us to our um, our new segment for this summer of 1993 <laughs> at 30, um, and you know one of the big. Um, things that people would do a lot it was more in the pop culture lexicon was going to uh video rental stores the rental store so each week we're gonna hear from our pal yancey burns as oh we, boy we do this this segment called yancey's tales from the video store I would have went to Big Choice, but the tape I want is right there on that wall. Really? Which one? Dental school. You came for that too? That's a movie I came for. So, okay, this is the Gancy's Tales from the Video Store I have here from the Milky Way Blues. And you can hear them on the commentaries on Out Now with Aaron and Abe that also air here. It's Yancey Burns. Hello, Yancey. Hello. And hey, so, 
this segment, I wanted to add a piece of because the summer of 93, like the 82, is the pop culture going experience from week to week for people in that time. Not just the movies they saw, but the TV they took in, the music, the news stories. But the video store is an element here in 93, and it wasn't before. So, Yancey, he, you've had experience working at video. Where have you been at in terms of your experience with video store working and going? Because you're, you're a little older than me, so you were of an age where you weren't probably like needing parent parental permission to go to video stores and more on your own seeking. Not me. My, I live with my dad and mm-hmm. he was very liberal in terms of what I would watch. We were enthusiasts together, especially as home video became a thing. So it was really probably me running to music plus in the eighties, which is a chain in, in, in California music plus to rent mm-hmm videotapes uh, and you know my father was very proud of the fact this is like 86 or 7 he had never had a credit card i think it was something to impress his parents who were german but he uh he never had a credit card so we had to actually give them 80 dollars to rent a movie and i remember exp- every time you wanted to rent a title a new release 79 or 89 95 on the vhs and i remember i'll never forget whenever i see or enjoy day of the dead the, the romero which i mm-hmm. love I, I, I the first thing I think of is a pile of twenty dollar bills uh, sitting on the dirty street in front of a Music Plus because in order to rent Day of the Dead, which I my dad had no problem with me renting Day of the Dead. Uh, I don't think he wanted to see it, but he didn't care if I saw it. Right. Um, I don't think he liked Dawn either. I think he only liked Night. But I went to rent it, and you had to give them eighty bucks, and I gave them eighty bucks, and I. Uh, I went at some, basically I was, a tw- I was 14 or whatever. And I went to give them $80 so I could rent day of the dead. And I got to the store and realized that I dropped the $80, which was not my $80. This is my dad went and got $80 mm-hmm. out of the, ATM. I had dropped the $80. So I couldn't rent day of the dead. And I dropped the $80. And this is the course, right when day of the dead came out, probably, this is probably the day to day. This is probably the day day of the dead was released. Music Plus probably had eight copies, you know, and I was going to rent a copy. I couldn't wait to see it, even though Ebert and Cisco Ebert hated it. I haven't seen it in the theater because I don't think I could have seen it in the theater. But but I dropped the 80 bucks. I went all the way home, told my dad that I dropped the 80 bucks. He's like, well, you got to go back. You got to go back and try to find it. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to find 80 bucks. It's like four o'clock in the afternoon on Pacific Coast Highway. Yeah. Sorry. So instead of seeing this, is, this is Hermosa Beach, California. Yeah, on PCH. So there's no way there's gonna be eighty bucks. But sure enough, I in front of the tender box was the name of the porno store. <laughs> there was eighty dollars. My eighty dollars sitting there blowing slightly in the wind. It had been there for wow, god, twenty twenty five minutes. <laughs> and I grabbed it and went in and got Day of the Dead. And I love Day of the Dead, but I'll always picture that little stack of twenties just blowing there, impossibly. Oh one of the two or three times, I basically, you know, like Star Man, he has those little balls. Yeah. They can do three, ma- three magic things. I think in your life, you get three of those, like, just miracles that go your way. That, unfortunately, That's I think insane. was one of them. <laughs> that was, because my dad would have been, he didn't have $80 to waste on me dropping it, you know. Right. <laughs> on the way, in a clutch wow. in my hand on the way as I ran to Music Plus. Thank you, Yancey. All right. So now we move on, Scott, to the box office. For this weekend, how did our new titles fare in the top 10? The number one movie of the weekend was Dragon, the Bruce Lee story with $10 million in 1,887 screens. 
It would eventually earn approximately 35 million domestic and I believe 65 worldwide, give or take. Let me double check on that. I've got a second. What's the budget on this thing? Like $16 million. Dollars. That was close. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, a huge hit. Clearly, there's no market for this kind of movie. We should never make another one again. Um, <laughs> it kind of drops, in, though, in later weeks, though. It does. It was more fast. front-loaded yeah. than, you know, Dave. Um, but Why didn't again, they make a sequel? Is- <laughs> um, but no, it only dropped by 37% in its first weekend or its second weekend, 40% in weekend two, and then it was basically done because we're under $3 million. But again, you know, it was a solid little movie that was a solid little hit. You could say the sequel is finishing the game, the Justin Lin film. Did you ever see that one? <laughs> it's a fictionalized account of what they did yeah. with Game of Death after after Bruce Lee, so that could be oh, the dragon. That sequel. is interesting. And then uh, Jason Scott Lee went on to do uh, uh, Stephen Soderbergh's... Uh, no. Summers. Stephen Summers... <laughs> Fuck, Stephen Summers. What's the long ass title? Like Walt Disney presents the jungle. Walt book Disney presents the Jungle Book. Yeah, it's yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's the, the the Jungle Book movie, which is very good. I it's like a, that movie. For it's what a I recall. I movie that it damn well earns its PG. Damn it, it's violent as hell for a kids' film. It's also unapologetic about you know white people being racist bastards, uh, and again in a way that today would be you know all the think pieces, but then was just a movie. Yeah, um, it, it has like a tiger death. It's pretty brutal, and like a guy gets buried in quick and sand. It's like yep. yeah, it goes to town. Yeah, it's a no, yeah. it's hardcore. Yeah, it's 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 you know Disney, you know their PG you know, the Three Musketeers movie earned that PG. There was you know murder, and even though it was kind of Robin Hood for kids, so to speak. But anyway, digression. Dave was number two at seven point three million on only eleven hundred fifty five screens, slightly bigger per screen average. It would expand to fourteen hundred and fifty. Er, sorry, it would expand to fifteen hundred sixty six screens in weekend two and top the box office with eight point five million dollars. Eventually, legging out to sixty three million domestic and ninety two million worldwide at a twenty eight million dollar budget. Which again, smaller risk, huge profits, video, cable, network, movies made money. Mm-hmm. American Heart was only in one theater. It earned $5,549. Um, <laughs> it would eventually, according to this, according to good old Box Office Mojo, it made $384,000. So it must have expanded. Hmm. But I only see the first weekend. So um, obviously, this is not a film that is expected to be a blockbuster in any way, shape or form, but it also didn't make much money. Should we talk about the movie that also dropped onto one screen that we'll be talking about later? Three screens that we'll be talking about later? Well, we're talking about it later. So, yeah, we'll talk about it later. Okay, never mind then. Uh, What's rounding out the top five? Round out the top ten. Okay, number three, Indecent Proposal in Weekend 5, earning $4.6 million, 34% drop. It had $78 million so far. It would eventually leg it past $100 million domestic. And... I don't know the overseas, uh, but no, this was a that was a genuine, buzzy, adult skewing R-rated high concept blockbuster. Uh, for those who don't remember, it starred Debbie Moore and Woody Harrelson as a struggling married couple who run into Robert Redford, who offers them a million dollars to sleep with his wife. I mean, excuse me, offers Woody Harrelson and Demi Moore a million dollars for one night with Demi Moore, mm-hmm. and 
drama ensues. Yes, drama. It's melodrama ensues. The problem um, with that movie is there's not enough VR scenes with Michael Douglas. Right. So. <laughs> well, it, it had the UB40 um, Elvis song attached to it too. I thought that was Sliver, but and we'll figure it out. Um, Sidekicks, which I believe is a uh, uh, what's Jonathan Brandis? Yeah, Jonathan Brandis. That's just a film about a kid that like imagines that he's Chuck Norris's partner in crime or something. Brandon, was this not? Yeah, go on. Sorry. So, uh, so fun story. I Sidekicks. When I saw Independence Day at the drive-in. Um, that uh, summer it came out. Sidekicks was the the back end double. Three years double, later. Three years later, Sidekicks. Fascinating. Yeah, pretty. It crazy. was just announced to come out on, on Blu-ray, right? On 4K Ultra HD, not <laughs> on just 4K. Blu-ray. On 4K, 4K Ultra HD. On 4K. Titanic's not even on 4K Blu-ray. yet. Titanic's coming Blu-ray. this year, but, but the Sidekicks is coming. Oh, boy. wait, wait, you guys are serious? Yeah. Yes. Oh God. Yes. Yeah. I thought you were making <laughs> a joke. That's what I thought he was going to say that he just got it out. <laughs> yeah, well, at the time, it will have been released at this time now. I mean, is yeah. Top Dog on 4K as well? You don't, don't push don't, them. Don't, don't, don't do bait. it. Don't do it. Yeah. Christ. There is a movie that you know. Again, there is no need for a sidebar about Top Dog right now. <laughs> you know what? We talked <laughs> about Chuck Norris's <laughs> unusual <laughs> politics last summer. Number five. <laughs> yeah, uh, Benny and June legging out with one point oh. nine million dollars with th- uh, minus thirty eight percent for a fifteen million dollar running total for what would eventually be twenty three domestic, which back then was a pretty good I hit for a Johnny make Depp movie. Twenty three million dollars and, and I would, would be a hit twenty three more. Top dog, top dog, top dog, top top dog. That starred America's older brother, Johnny Depp. Yep. Yeah, for for a Johnny Depp movie of that era, that was a pretty decent sum. You know, it's funny. He was writing the the scissor hand fumes at that point. Clearly. Have you ever, do you remember the trailer for that movie? For as like goofy as these characters were supposed to kind of be, it was the most intense trailer. It had like Peter Gabriel's In Your Eyes. And it had the, the trailer voice like this, like Johnny Depp, Mary Stuart Masterson, Benny and June. I'm like, what the hell are you selling here? Potato dance. Yeah, yeah that's the type of movie. There's, and it's like, what? What are you? That's intense. Adrian Quinn, or Aiden Quinn. Aiden Quinn. Aiden Quinn. Johnny Depp, Mary Stuart Masterson. That's a that's a Blu-ray I reviewed. <laughs> I reviewed that like years ago. Yeah. And just looking at the top 20 or whatever, just for the hell of it. Number six, uh, we're at Scott. Uh, Indian Summer? Yeah. Movie I don't remember much about, to be honest. Is that um, where it was like a hot spring? Something like that. <laughs> uh, the Sandlot, number seven, legging out to 23 million after five weekends. That is a generational favorite, depending on how old so that's you like, are. Was that a March the release? Uh, yes, that was a March March release. Uh, speaking I had the VHS, of, I never saw it. In speaking theaters. of being in theaters for a while, Unforgiven in week forty was in was in thirteenth place. Mm. Well, that's the Oscar bump, right there. That's yes, yeah, absolutely. Yep, yep. It actually went back up to I think number one at the box office after it was obviously it was number one in the August of uh, first. Jesus, 
four out of the first five weekends in, in August of 1993, September 1993, 92, excuse me. It was number one. It then jumps back up to number one in October of 1992. It's number one again over thanks. That can't be right. Never mind. It was not number one over Thanksgiving weekend. That'd be ridiculous. That would be like Aladdin or something, right? Yeah, yeah. Home Alone 2. When he got lost in uh, Trump Tower. Yes, in New York. Um, (laughs) But anyway, it, 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 it's, wait, this, you know what? Never mind. Point being, yeah, stop it was for a while. this. Go back to March or April. <laughs> We're like in this. We're in <laughs> May, and we are at number eight, which I can't wait to hear this one. Who's the man? I don't know anything about that. <laughs> Ed Lover and Dr. Dre. Not that Dr. Dre. But Two barbers in Harlem become that, cops while in real estate. And it had, uh, uh, oh, 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 I think, um, the comedian, um, the, the Captain Spacey. <laughs> Captain Spacey? Dennis Leary? Dennis Leary, I think was in oh, oh, oh. Ke- Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> you couldn't think of Dennis Leary and your your uh, your your go-to was the amazing Spider-Man? Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm with Scott, we always joke about his death. Like it was like the most telegraph. Oh, like, we, we were denied spaces. We were denied three additional Amazing Spider-Man sequels, yeah. where in each sequel, Peter Parker would indirectly or fuck it directly cause the death of another Stacy family member. Yeah, so oh, I remember brothers had they added in for the brothers, I'm sure. Yes. So, so who's the man? Had like the trailer had uh, Naughty by Nature, Hip Hop Hooray. Oh, this is a Ted Demi movie. I know this movie. Yeah, okay. come on, yeah. everybody knows who's the man. I remember who's the man. Yeah. <laughs> But who in was the man? It's a very '90s New Line Cinema picture. Yeah, and no. Just to, what, just to just to just to reach just to recap, you're you're bringing up who's the man. You couldn't think of Dennis Larry, <laughs> the one white person in this movie, as the, the one you wanted to reference. <laughs> and I went for Spider Man. <laughs> I, I can't do what's the what's the disapproving Dennis Larry look? Just... Couldn't have said Judgment Night, which was around this time. Yeah. No. Oh. Uh, you know, Demolition Man, where he stops the movie for five minutes to do an improv riff. His his, um, se- his seventh season FX series Rescue Me, <laughs> the, 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 ref. the job which was pretty good. Yeah, just just the roast of Dennis Leary probably has more regard than <laughs> his role as Captain Stacy. <laughs> he, he, he had a song on the radio. The yeah, I'm an asshole. asshole no, I went Amazing Spider Man. <laughs> That's very sad. Yeah. A cop and a half. There's a winner. I saw that uh, in the theater. That Bert. Why? <laughs> I don't, my parents that's, made me. It was Bert Reynolds. Bert. They wanted yep. to go see him. Oh. Yeah. So he didn't fire his agent after this, only after Boogie Nights. <laughs> but Scott, you see, he he's a cop, and he has a younger person. <laughs> he's half of a cop, and so it's got, yes. when you add when you add one cop and a half of a cop, you have cop and a half. That's, that's, I, 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 I didn't know there'd be math. I do think it was a dollar theater that we saw it in, so we didn't see it first run. We saw it when because yeah, the people were lined up out there, there. There was the Klein runs, and then there was the Reynolds runs. Yes. It's like what, what, what movie we're we gonna see this weekend? Was well, not one of these two, that's for sure. Uh, is uh, the Sandlot still playing? I guess so. We'll see the Sandlot. Uh, all right, <laughs> one last film that didn't make a million dollars. Uh, what? Three of Hearts. Yes. Uh, early New Line Cinema what? picture about a lesbian who hires a male escort to be her date for the wedding. Hijinks ensue. I've never seen it. I don't know if he turns her straight or not, but it was the 90s, so that wouldn't shock me. 
So going back to Three of Hearts, uh, this movie stars Alan Arkin, Diane Lane, Bill Paxton, Elizabeth Perkins, Kevin Pollock, and Sam Raimi. Sam Raimi. Yeah. Uh, he got that. He got the the acting bug after uh, Miller's Crossing. I guess he was it like, is. I need to be in more movies. <laughs> so directed by Mike Binder. Um, but yeah. Oh, it's a Mike Binder. That makes sense. I can see that. Okay. Yeah. So about some friends that go back to a summer camp. And they're going to close it like they used to go to, but it's going to be closed down. And they're like, oh, no. <laughs> um, I watched the whole thing while Scott was talking. So I've seen the whole movie now. It's all good. Uh, but yeah, so uh, <laughs> that'll do it for a kickoff week. Uh, that was uh, May 7th through 9th of 1993. I, Scott, I think this is a better start of movies than 82 was. If I recall, I think the answer is yes. Yeah, very enthusiastic yes. Um <laughs> Because we we didn't have the Phoebe Cates Blue Lagoon movie, um, but we didn't have our little uh, Corman horror though. That's true. That, that was a dime store event horizon. I mean, as a compliment. <laughs> and David Carradine and Stockard Channing's Cannonball Run was <laughs> yeah not here either. So um, and that was actually what occurred to me when I was watching Dragon the Bruce Lee story is like, you know, the whole Tarantino yeah. thing. Like, does it mean anything that he gave, tried to give David Carradine a big comeback role? He could have cast anybody on earth, but he cast David Carradine in that role. Anyway. Star of Kung Fu, which uh, he stole from Bruce Lee. Exactly. Which, you know, we that's saw the, today. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. I think, I think uh, uh, you know, T- Tarantino is a fan of that show. Well, Carradine had clout back then, and then probably his father being a Dracula actor, too, is always there. But but uh, before we go, Scott and Eric, thank you for joining me for this uh, as we start this adventure um before we sign out uh let people know where they keep up with you we'll start with aaron i am the editor over at uh new live entertainment so i write my movie reviews over there uh i'm writing for weeds uh why so blue as well for blue rank criteria interviews i do host the podcast out now with aaron and abe where and i talk about weekly movie releases i guess we will have just talked about guardian of the galaxy volume three and i should probably look this up every time we do one of these so i can make sure we know what's our <laughs> we're we're <laughs> Uh, and it, it was it was really it was a really solid end to the to the series. And I, I feel bad that uh, Bradley Cooper, you know, his rocket died. Uh, that's what happened. Uh, I'm just saying it right now. Uh, yeah, that's what I said. But yeah, out there today, we hope we do movie reviews. It's a lot of fun. And I'm on Twitter, Aaron's PS4. Scott, I am at the Wrap. Um, and I'm on Twitter at, at Scott Mendelson. All right, and I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Brand4KUHD. We're in work at blue.com. Tune in next week as Scott gets lost in Yonkers and Aaron and I form a posse to use excessive force to get him back. So all of that and more as we're just getting started on the summer of 93 at 30. Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Olsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. The Summer of and News Themes by Press Maxson. Additional information on this and other episodes at thebrandonpetershow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at thebrandonpetershow.com. 
The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found.